Good evening and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Cock and this program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8. And in it I talk to someone who is a person of note and we listen to music of their choice. And I'm happy to say that we've got a guest from the Eastern Cape tonight. His name is Alan Veyer. Welcome, Alan. Ah, uh, hello, Richard. Uh, thank you. I'm delighted to, to be able to talk to you this evening. Perhaps just for our listeners, because they don't know who Alan Veyer is, you could just tell us briefly who you are and why you're a person of note. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know about, about being a person of note, but... Um, Richard, I um, grew up in the Eastern Cape outside Grahamstown and uh, um, I, I had a, an interest in history and uh, storytelling and um, I've, for the last couple of years, well say 20 odd years ago, I got into, into tourism and, and storytelling and um, uh, yeah, with a, with a, a particular uh, focus on the on mostly eastern cape history and uh i've been involved in uh, running guest a guest house in grahamstown also kareha game reserve um down near the coast and of course that uh, has been affected by COVID and so on so i've moved back to grahamstown area and um yeah um traveled quite a bit uh doing the storytelling and uh, also used to do a comedy show with a, a friend of mine uh, called Button Soir, which we started at the Grahamstown Festival some years ago. Um, yeah, other than that, just uh, a good, passionate Eastern Cape person, I suppose. Yeah, well, I was, I'm uh, familiar with that because I was born in Port Elizabeth and I lived a yeah. lot of my life in the Eastern Cape. And of course, I've been at the uh, National Arts Festival many, yeah. many times over the years. Yeah. So it's uh, and yeah. the farm that you live on, if it's close to Grahamstown, does it have some history itself on the farm? Well, it does indeed. Well, not not particularly on the property that I'm on, but um, Housen's Port is is where I live. It's you know the the little pass as you go into Grahamstown, and um, it has some significance in in uh, that it's if if you Googled it, you'd find that it's a um, there's a, a, a Stone Age site that uh, was studied here beginning in the 1920s, 1930s, and it identified a particular uh, method in which uh, the stone tools were being manufactured here, which was different to anything else that they'd found. And um, th that era or that particular period of Stone Age history is now known as the Hassan's Port Industry. Um, and that uh, they estimate dates back about sixty odd thousand years. So that's right in the valley that I live in. So there, yes, there's definitely some significance no. in that. But that whole area, um, if one thinks back to sort of the late eighteen hundreds and the whole mm. of the nineteen hundreds, yes. uh, was um, or the whole of the nineteenth century was a sort of hotbed yes. of all sorts of things going on because it was the first place Absolutely. that that European culture bumped up against African culture in a big way absolutely and and um, you know I, I think that certainly when I grew up uh, and did my schooling which I, which i wasn 't very good at but um, the the history of this region has been has been overlooked for for a number of reasons and and yet what has what has happened here in the past in our recent history which says the past two three hundred years um, has certainly had a significant impact on um, South Africa Southern Africa and and not only that with what was going on here the effect that it had on um, the, the whole colonial, uh, the, the colonial powers and and Britain in particular, of course, because they were here. Um, it it has had a huge impact. It certainly what happened here shaped South Africa as it is today, and uh, it 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 went you know it went on for a long time. Um, it 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 was overlooked completely, and uh, you know I just find it fascinating to 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 be able to tell people about. Um, the significance of this area, you know, 
people don't realize that there was there was a hundred years of conflict here between not only the British but the the, the early track wars and the uh, and the Kosa people in in this area and the Khoi Khoi people and you know we hear about the Zulu wars we hear about the Boer War and all that sort of thing but if you look back at the origins of those it all comes and it stems from what happened in the Eastern Cape. Yeah. Well, we'll unpack that as we go through this program, but I, your first title that you've chosen tonight is I'll Find My Way Home, which feels very good for me because I feel very much at home in that Eastern Cape area. So here it comes, your first choice, I'll Find My Way Home. That was I'll Find My Way Home, the choice of Alan Veyer, who's my guest in People of Note tonight, and he is... Well, he didn't start off as an historian, but how did you get into that aspect of your life, Alan? Uh, because presumably, were you yeah. going to become a farmer? Absolutely, and I did farm, uh, Richard. When I, you know, I, all I wanted to do was farm. But I, I think where we I came into it was we, uh, as a as a kid uh, on the farm, uh, we used to spend hours in the felt and. Uh, there were some ruins of an old settlement in a little valley there, and uh, I used to sit and amongst those ruins and wonder about the people that lived there and what, how they lived, what, you know, what their lives were like, and um, you know, we we had uh, the stories of the settlers having gone to the Salem School uh, just outside Grahamstown, the little little village of Salem. And we grew up on these stories and uh, about about the settlers in particular. But my, all my companions were were Kosa kids, and I used to listen to their stories as well, and and wonder wondered why in our history we were never taught that side of the story. So my interest really started only after I left school, and uh, I, you know, I, I used to. Do go to the library and uh, always be taking out books on on local history and and my research sort of started from there, so it was an interest, not an academic interest in history, but certainly a, 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 an interest in people that, that 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 got me going. Yeah, and what is I found fascinating because I just read an amazing book called Frontiers by Noel Mostert, yes. uh, who yes. also was at school in Grahamstown. Um, Indeed, yeah, and and. I was amazed to discover that the um, the Kosa people actually had gone quite far west uh, before yes. all the trouble started. I mean, they were sort of as far as Humansdorp or Tsitsikama even mm. with grazing. Mm. Um, so, yeah. um, you know, the, the stories are that the, the Trek Boers found this empty land, but in fact it wasn't empty mm. at all in that part of the world. No, indeed, it wasn't empty. It it was, but it was also, um, it it was a, it's sort of a transitional zone. You know, the the origin of the Kosa people, is that they they originally the the Inguni or Bantu people, um, originated around central central West Africa, and being cattle farmers as well as crop farmers, that slowly spread across Africa and then down, the eastern seaboard. But as they moved, they they gradually, as they came across other people, smaller groups, they were much much more organized in terms of uh, socially organized. And so they came over across smaller, small groups of bushmen, small groups of uh, koi koi herders, and they they mixed. They, they either through conquest or through simple assimilation and quite often by marriage, they mixed with these groups. So. At the further south you get, there's more evidence of, of the, the mixing um, between the, the, the Nguni and, the, and the, the Khoi Khoi people. So, if you want evidence of that as well, just look no, no further than the language of the Kosa people. All the clicks in the, in the Kosa language come out of the, out of the, the Bushmen and, and Khoi Khoi languages. And in this area um, is, is certainly where that mixing is, is most evident. But the problem with moving any much further south in this region is is that initially a lot of the crops that they that they brought with them that didn't grow successfully further south and and if you just look at the name of this region that the, the trackboards gave it being the seal felt it tells you something about how good it is for farming so it wasn't a good area to settle in permanently but there was definitely 
a, a presence here long before any Europeans arrived. Uh, you know, archaeological evidence dates back in the East London area to a thousand years ago yeah. that these people were in this area already. So, you know, that idea that we were taught that that they got the track boys got here to to a vast empty space, as yeah. you said, um, actually is totally untrue. Yeah. Well, your next choice of music is by Johnny Clegg and Savuka Asim Bonanga, which talks to another aspect of life in the Eastern Cape. Let's listen to it, yes. and then you can talk to us about that. Here it comes, Asim Bonanga. That was Johnny Clegg and Savuka with Asim Bonanga, which is a song about Nelson Mandela, another product of the Eastern Cape, although a little further north-east of where you are, Alan. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a beautiful song, and and uh, you know, I think for me that in the eighties, um, when of course we were all conscripted, and I have to say that I had, uh, you know, I, I had no regrets about that. We did that um, without, you know, that was just how it was. Um, and Rhodes University in Grahamstown, of course, was also a place that uh, there was there was a lot of. Uh, protest action, a lot of questioning of, of um, apartheid, and so it was a, a quite a hotbed of, of resistance to, to the apartheid movement. And, and I remember Johnny Clegg and Jaluka coming here and uh, performing in the National Monument in probably 1982, 83, somewhere around about there. And um, you, you know, it, it, it was it was almost like. Although we were part of a system, it was certainly something that, that resonated with us because inherently we knew that, that things were wrong. And, and that song in particular, it was banned. Um, so we only really listened to it if you were at a concert. Um, they, you know, they wouldn't play it. It wasn't allowed to be played on the radio or anything like that. Yeah. And um, it just resonates very deeply with me, that song. Yeah, and, and music. I, I remember because I spent a lot of my youth on a farm near Kaimouth. Uh, yes. And music was such an important part of the community on the farm there. Yes. Um, I used to go along on the weekends to listen to the the singing and, uh, well, I used to go and watch stick fights and things. It was, it was, yes. quite, it was quite exciting for a young child. Yeah. I'm talking about the, yeah. the 60s now. Um, yes. And I loved that sort of life there with, and my yeah. companions also were young black guys. Yes. And we had a great life, actually. It was almost like your next yes. choice, which is Stairway to Heaven. I thought it was heaven at the time, and I'm sure you did too <laughs> when you were growing up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Here it comes, Stairway to Heaven. That was Stairway to Heaven, the choice of Alan Vayer, who's my guest in People of Note. Alan, I just want to go on to another aspect of your life there, which was this um, comic duo, Boot and Soir, because I think yeah. there's a very particular type of humor in mm. the, the Albany area, I think. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. It, it, it's funny how that sort of all started by accident. Um, I've, I found pineapples here, and, and pineapples, you know, pineapple farming was very big in this area at that time. And um, we we had a very strong connection with our fellow farmers. We used to get together at least once a month on a different farm, um, and we'd 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 go through all the plantations and crit, and you know we used to share knowledge. So um, we had these study groups, and um, I I used to love listening to the older guys and the, and the stories that they used to tell. And and there's a stoicism about it that you know. And, and a very dry sense of humor. And you'd listen to these fantastic stories. And, um, you know, whenever we got together at a, at a farmers association meeting or, or at the cricket club or whatever, um, we'd, I would, and friends of mine would repeat stories that they'd heard maybe during the week. You know, one would say, Al, I saw Uncle Doc the other day, and you know what he said. And you'd get these stories going. And, uh, Somewhere along the line, uh, Brian Mullins and myself, instead of just telling the stories, we sort of went into character and started talking to each other uh, in character. And people found this mildly amusing, and, and we used to get invited to, 
you know, to uh, sports functions and dinners and things like that to tell a few stories and and uh, eventually at the at the the National Arts Festival, I think in 1996, um, the Salem uh, Tennis Club needed to refurbish their tennis courts, and they asked us if we'd we'd put a show on the fringe, put together a show on the fringe, you know, um, which we were tricked into doing, and we we did it, and to our absolute surprise, it it, it ran away with us, and uh, yeah, we've been doing it for well since 1996, sort of on on stage. We've travelled the country. We've actually um, done a few performances in the UK and a few in Aussie, but you know, all to expats. Yeah. But it, it, it's amazing how that, uh, even that that sense of humour, unique to the Eastern Cape, it does translate. Um, if people sort of understand the the characters, it translates quite well. Um, every community anywhere has their characters, and uh, you know, so it, it's been great fun doing it, and uh, uh, certainly very much part of my life. Yeah, and you just you've mentioned Salem a couple of times, and I seem to think that mm. Salem, uh, if I remember rightly, also has a cricket field, doesn't it? Which is quite yes. unusual. Yes, in this area, the, you know, the, the, all these communities um, have their own little cricket teams, and Salem is certainly one of those. You know, there's there's that typical English village there, with the church and the the school and uh, the village green, with which is the cricket field, and then the then the little hall and the clubhouse, and that you, those you'll find all over the area here, and uh, you know, the the farmers here um, used to. Uh, shut down you know they'd have their christmas holiday which was about a month down at the coast and then in march they would have uh, the cricket tournament which became known as the pineapple tournament which is still ongoing and it's just club cricket and cricket is very very popular um in in this area yeah in fact i think the, the little salem school that i went to has pr produced more provincial cricketers than any other school in the country <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> And you also yeah. mentioned, I mean, that area was famous for pineapples, but you, you said it almost mm. as though pineapples were no longer such a big thing. No, they, they're still growing here. But, um, you know, if I remember when, when I got out of pineapple farming, which was also around about 1996, I think there were, there were over 50 farmers producing some 140-odd thousand tons a year. Um, and, you know, I think that there are now only a handful of farmers, probably less than 10 or so, that are, are producing uh, probably half of that now. Uh, most of our pineapples were, were, were produced for, for canning, and the industry, the market, you know, the market for canned pineapples has, has really disappeared. Yeah. So, nowadays they produce to, to the, the pulp for juice, for fruit juices. And the, and the and the local market mainly, so it, yeah. it certainly has gone, you know, way down yeah. in this area. Interesting. Simple man yeah. is your next choice, uh, and the pronunciation of the artist is it Leonard Skinner or Leonard Skinnard? Leonard Leonard Skinnard, yeah. Here it comes. Yeah. That was Simple Man by Leonard Skinnard, the choice of Alan Vea, my guest on People of Note, and we were talking about farming in that area um i think from your history um alan i'm sure you could tell us that farming was never easy in that part of the world the, the no. first the well i guess even the yeah. the nguni people who came down didn't find it easy to grow no. crops and so on there but certainly when the when the uh, settlers arrived in 1820 mm. they found it really difficult very very difficult it, it's you know, it's it's a uh, it's an area that that's not only a ge geographic, uh, uh, a geographically sort of uh, zone. Um, how can I put it? it from it's, the climate uh, point uh, of view, or what? Yeah, from climate as well. From, yeah. You know, it's, we we sit in the middle. We we neither summer rainfall nor winter rainfall. Um, we're right at the end of the Cape Fold mountain groups, uh, you know, that run right from, from Cape Town right through to, to where we are. And um, it, one thing is it's, it's a hugely diverse area when it comes to your fauna and flora. I mean, it's the, the, this, 
this biome here is the third most diverse area in the world after the Cape Floral Kingdom and and the the Amazon and 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 it's very old it hasn't been uh, geographically it's very old it hasn't been subjected to um, you know massive ice ages and that in, in, our, in our geographically recent history so so plants in that have evolved here to specific re regions. I mean, on this little mountainside that I live on here, there's a there's a a, a bush, protea type bush called Oldenburgia, which only c occurs within a 50 kilometer radius of of Grahamstown and only on these mountain uh, ridges. But it it means that you know the, the the environment is adapted, but for domestic livestock or planting crops. It, it's very, very difficult because it's unpredictable. Our rainfall is is unpredictable, and um, y you know the, the 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 area isn't really greatly suited to cattle or sheep or anything like that. Although they've done well here, but um, it's a very difficult area to farm yeah. in. And in fact, it's often subject to droughts. Yes, like we are at the moment. I know. You know. Yeah, we haven't we haven't had runoff for water in our dams now in seven years. Um, so the dams are all completely empty. Although the countryside looks okay, we've been getting little bits of rain, but nothing enough to cause runoff to fill the dams up. Yeah. So it's 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 serious. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, your next choice, Pink Floyd. Wish you were here. I often wish I was in the Eastern Cape, and I'm sure you do. I mean, the people who live there love the Eastern Cape. So let's listen to oh, Wish yeah. You Were Here by Pink Floyd. That was Pink Floyd with Wish You Were Here. That's the choice of Alan Veyer, my guest in People of Note. He's a, a farmer. And I see uh, you've turned to aquaponic farming now. Just tell us a bit about yeah. that. I, I, I got interested at... Um, visiting a friend of mine in, in Salem and he had a, a tiny little aquaponics system. Aquaponics is is um, the farming of, of, of fish alongside vegetables and uh, so what happens is the fish waste is is processed through gravel beds where the ammonia is turned into to, into nitrates essentially and utilized by the plants. So it's, it's a closed system where you're circulating the water so the the wastewater from the fish is is uh, basically cleaned and utilized by the plants and then pumped back through the system and um, it means that you you're producing vegetables and produce without the aid of any chemicals or any any additives or anything like that because you can't in a closed system like that uh, if you added any kind of herbicides or, or, or insecticides or anything of course you'll kill your fish so it's a it's a great and sustainable way of 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 producing food, um, which I've become very interested in. I've been doing it as a hobby for um, about the last six or seven years, with the view of one day doing it on a, on a semi-commercial basis. So it's one of the projects I'm busy with at the moment is setting and, that up. And are the fish edible as well? Yes, absolutely. We yeah. use you can use various fish. I mean, people use trout. Uh, depending on where you are, but we use um, a, a tilapia, Mozambicus. It's a, um, yeah, a, a very nice fish to eat as well. So, uh, you know, the, I think in South Africa, there's there's always been a, a little bit of a resistance to freshwater fish, um, but you know, the rest of the world, uh, that's most of the fish they consume consume is farmed fish, um, yeah. and it's a lot of tilapia, carp, etc. But we can, you can use just about any fish, but uh, but we use uh, uh, tilapia particularly. Uh, but you say it's not a commercial prospect yet. Mine isn't, but there certainly are people doing it on a, as a as a commercial prospect um, and doing it very successfully. So you, but you grow vegetables for your own use rather than for sale. Y yes, I have been up until now, but yeah. I'm going to be expanding it now so that okay. I. Um, you can look at a you know a small little niche market of like restaurants and that and yeah. so local restaurants and and game lodges when they'd open again. <laughs> yeah, well yeah. we're going to come to those now. I just want to talk about the game lodges, but let's hear uh, a wonderful song by Bob Marley called the Redemption Song. That was Redemption Song by Bob Marley, and I must say your your taste in music is quite eclectic, <laughs> Alan. 
<laughs> Did you ever play an instrument yourself? Or sing? You no, know, no, I haven't actually. I, I I did try the piano when I was at junior school, but um, after about three lessons, our, our piano teacher decided that I didn't have an ear for music. But um, I, I I I do enjoy music, and uh, my daughter's actually very musical. So funny enough, ah, you see, it's there <laughs> hiding somewhere in you. <laughs> so one of yeah. the one of the interesting things you mentioned. Um, the uh, game reserve and one of the interesting things mm. about that area that particular area of the eastern cape is that a lot of people gave up their mm. farming because it just was yeah. not practical and a whole mm. lot of farms there have become uh, game farms now mm. so just talk mm. to us about that and and then Isn't we can it, come yeah. on to Karicha. yeah it's it's fascinating because you know when i was at school in gramstown if you'd have told me that I could have dri drive out of Gramstown in any direction and in 10 minutes see any one of the big five. I would have laughed at you. I would have said that's absolutely impossible. But isn't it funny that it's taken, it's taken us 200 years to realize the one sustainable thing we can do in this area is, uh, is reintroduce the animals that e existed here previously and, um, and for that to be commercially viable. And there's been a huge... I mean, a, a massive uh, move from commercial farming into to game farming in various forms, and and particularly in in the um, the sort of the leisure market um, with with the game reserves. And and I got involved with Kareche Game Reserve, which which started as a in the 1980s, started by by Colin Rashmia from uh, Port Elizabeth, and. Uh, it started off very small um, and now is is a, a 12,000 hectare big five game reserve um, and up until COVID of course about 90% of our clients were, were from all over the world so it's 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 really changed um, our region in, in terms of uh, you know what our industry is here so we've gone from agriculture and, and cattle farming um, to predominantly game farming in this area, and it's had a huge impact uh, on the on the region itself. Yeah, and I seem and, to think uh, that being game farming actually produces more jobs than agriculture too. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. because of the tourist and, uh, aspects. Yeah, yeah, and and the other thing is, you know, um, the impact that that has on the local community. You know, in in agriculture, your um, you're quite limited in terms of of uh, your skill set. You know, you you you're producing, um, but there's a sort of a, a bit of a limitation there. Whereas in in the tourism business, there's a lot of scope for for going into all sorts of different things. Um, you know, so people have have a lot more opportunity to to develop. I feel. Um, in you know, with with the industry as it is at the moment, uh, certainly much more than there was in the past because agriculture in this area was very labour intensive. So, it it wasn't a very it wasn't very high paying at all. Yeah. Um, whereas now you've got people that have developed you know developing skills that they otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. Yeah. So that's a good cause for joy, and your next choice is the famous Ode to Joy by Beethoven. So let's listen to that, and then I want to talk more about those game uh, activities in the Eastern Cape. Here it comes. That was the famous Ode to Joy by Beethoven, uh, and chosen by Alan Weyer, who's my guest. He comes from the Eastern Cape near uh, Makanda, and... Um, uh, Alan, one of the amazing things that's happened in that area too is the great explosion of the Addo uh, National mm. Park. I mean, it started as mm. a very small park, but now it's gigantic. Absolutely, and and uh, you know, it's far bigger than than people realise because it includes uh, a marine park as well, which goes right out into Algoa Bay and and a whole system of shifting dunes, which is the biggest of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere, all along the eastern side of Algoa Bay. So you've got all that, you've got um, your forests uh, along the fringes of that dune system, and then right up into the, into the mountains. So you've got a huge amount of diversity, and it, it really is um, 
a seriously big park now and and hugely uh, beneficial to the to the region in terms of conservation and of course you know the the elephant that survived here um with a with a basis of of uh, of kicking that off yeah <laughs> the irony was is that the, that they tried to get rid of the elephants, but the elephants got into that thick addo bush and they couldn't get rid of them. So they fenced them in, <laughs> not as a reserve, but to keep them out of the farmlands. Yeah. And that was, you know, a hundred years ago. Yeah. And that's all changed now. Yeah. And, and that actually sparks another thought in me because it was that thick Eastern Cape bush around there mm. and in, uh, towards the Catberg and in the uh, mm. Fisher River Valley that caused the problems for... Mm. The, the British who were trying to establish themselves, um, certainly the military side of it, because the, yes. the local Kwasa people just disappeared into the bush. Yes, yeah, that it was, um, you know, one British officer that arrived out here couldn't understand, uh, sitting on top of the, the ridge looking over the Fish River Valley, why it was so difficult to, to flush the Kwasa out there. He said, well, why don't you just set it alight? It will flush them out. Well, you can't. And, uh, um, yeah, this thick, thick bush, whether it's, um, you know, down on the, on the lowlands, the flatlands, or up in the, 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 those Afro-Montane forests up in the mountains there, it's virtually impossible to, to maneuver from a military point of view there. So, so the Kosa and the guerrilla tactics was something that they were very, very good at in this area. And they... I mean, they, they tired, you know, these the colonial army up here time and time again because of that. Yeah. And actually, we hear so much about Isantwana and Rourke's drift with the Zulu mm. people, but Makoma was, yes. was probably way ahead of his time in that sense. Absolutely. Um, you know, Makoma was, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you look at... Uh, at his influence on, on the type of guerrilla warfare that was, was fought here. Uh, there was a, a colonel here the, the, uh, from one of the Highland regiments, a Colonel Eyre, E-Y-R-E, who, um, after the Eighth Frontier War, which was in the 1850s, wrote a manual on, on these kind of guerrilla tactics and how to counter them. And do you know that in the 1950s, a hundred years later, when the British were in um, what was then uh, Malaysia, um, or the Malaysian emergen emergency, as they called it. They dusted off that old manual and um, and used that as the basis for their their, their 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 tactical training before sending their soldiers to to Malaysia a hundred years later. They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, your next choice of music is probably something you'd like to see down in the Eastern Cape, which is a lake. This is Swan Lake, in this case, by Tchaikovsky, <laughs> the dance of the little swans. Here it comes. That was from Swan Lake by Tchaikovsky, the dance of the little swans, the choice of Alan Veyer, who's my guest in People of Note. Alan, I see from the tourism point of view, and, and you mm. were the... the GM of Kariha Game Reserve, the general manager. Yes. Uh, was yes. that a change for you? I mean, that's a sort of more of a, a sort of management position. Yes. Uh, whereas you were used just to managing your own farm for a long time. Yes. So how did you, you know, take it, to it, that? Well, it came about when um, you know when I, got, I I actually got out of farming altogether uh, in the sort of towards the end of the nineties. And I went into tourism full-time, and I, I, I had become involved in, in a, a reserve that was starting up uh, north of Grahamstown called Kwandwe. And I used to go and, and uh, oh, every second or third day, go and, you know, talk to people about the history and give them a bit of a background to the area. And then um, the owners of that reserve uh, opened up a guest house in Grahamstown, which I was running and doing tours from the guest house. And um, eventually, uh, there was a change of ownership, and the new owners of the of the guest house um, wanted to 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 live in it rather than than run it as a guest house. It, uh, um, it was a beautiful old Victorian mansion, and I found that you know doing historical tours was was very much a niche market, and and in in the area that we're in. 
the, at that point there just wasn't enough volume uh, to really make it viable and um, yeah, through a friend of mine who is GM of Shamwari Game Reserve, um, he mentioned that uh, the Rashmia family were looking for a GM for Kareha. So, you know, I, I got a hold of them and, and threw my hat in the ring and, uh, and ended up there as GM. And I was GM of Kareha for 10 years until uh, this time last year. And w- w- I'm sure it was a very happy time. Yes, it's you know I, th- I think that my interest in people and and um, and certainly perhaps a, a a a feeling and an understanding for for Kosa history and culture and that really did help me in that in that regard because you're managing people and and the vast majority of the people that we employed they were Kosa speaking people and you know coming from a background of growing up. With Kosa speaking people and and um, in that environment, it certainly helped in terms of of management. And then having that, as well as as uh, you know, being being able to live on a reserve uh, was fantastic. It it really was. It was great. I I'm not for a minute saying it was easy. It was a, it was a difficult. It was a tough job. You know, managing people, managing people's expectations, and probably quite um, a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we had five, we, you know, Karecha's got five different lodges of, of varying sizes, but, you know, it's 160 beds. I had over 300 staff. So it was, um, you know, that was, it was, it was challenging, but the, 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 you know, the payoff for that was the environment that we lived in, which was, yeah. and, and my girls have essentially grown up there. They're now, about, now both at university, my two girls, but they, you know, they grew up on the reserve, which I think was for them a fantastic um, yeah. place to grow up. Yeah. Well, let's listen to your next choice, which is Green Steves by uh, Lorena McKennett. And then uh, I just want to talk about the awards that you've won and how tourism has been affected by the COVID story. So here comes Green Sleeves. That was Green Sleeves by Lorena McKennett the choice of Alan Veyer, my guest in People of Note. Alan, I see in 2005 and six you won mm. uh, tourism awards. Was that for Karika yeah. or was that for your particular um, gift in teaching people about the local history and so yeah. on? Richard, that was actually, um, yeah, that was when I was doing historical tours, um, specifically, uh, it was before I joined Karika and... Um, you know, I think it was it was the it was the storytelling side of it, and and I must say that my great inspiration and and support initially came from the late David Rattray, who who's world famous for his battlefield tours um, around KwaZulu Natal, particularly the the Battle of Isantlwana and Rock's Drift, and um, uh, that sort of started me off in the Eastern Cape. Um, he and a previous guest of yours, Rob Kasky, um, were very supportive of, of, you know, what I was doing down here. And I think that, um, you know, there was at that time there was a lot of interest in 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 looking at the at this region, and it, it grew from there. And uh, yeah, I was very really, very fortunate to to win the, the the two awards. I was tour guide of the year, I think, in in two thousand and five, and then. In 2006, they had the Welcome Awards, and uh, which was across the, the, you know, the spectrum in South Africa, and and I won the tour, tour guiding section as well as the overall winning yeah. winner of the, the first tour of the, the the award. And how has that how has that been affected now by COVID? I mean, are, are local <coughs> people travelling oh. to the Eastern Cape? Uh, there's well, there's no international tourism now at yeah. all, and there hasn't been for for some time. And I think that um, you know that it, it's a massive negative impact that's going to take years to recover from um, before we get back to the levels that we were at. Um, you know, I know that the Kareka Game Reserve is only running in probably about ten percent of its capacity at the yeah. moment. So, so it's been very and tough. as are all the others. Yeah. yeah. But probably from uh, the the game point of view, I mean, the game is all still there. Are, are, mm. And is there a push to get local people to travel more internally? Oh, absolutely, yes. And and it and it's happening. And people are traveling. And and um, 
there's definitely been a move. A lot of people that used to travel abroad every year are traveling locally because they can't go abroad. And that's, you know, that's awoken an interest in them. And, and the comments that I often get from, from people is that, you know, we've, we've rushed around traveling overseas all the time without actually realizing what we've got on our doorstep. And they, they're thrilled. They're, they're loving the experience. So that's a huge positive for the industry. But, but uh, it's just that the industry itself has been geared um, towards a, an international market and the volumes that that can bring, which, which we just haven't got locally in, in terms of volume. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of redundancy at the moment in the, in the system. And that must be very tough because uh, that, that area is not wealthy in the sense that we are talking no. about in any way. And it's always been a very mm. tough area to live mm. in. I mean, the, the Eastern Cape has had a history of low mm. employment and all sorts of things. And this is really interesting because in spite of the fact mm. that there were a lot of uh, educational institutions and so on in mm. the Eastern Cape and a lot of development in the early days, it hasn't really fulfilled that promise that it had for some reason. Yeah, it's it's almost like we, you know, the uh, a bit of a uh, a Cinderella. Uh, you know, there's there's so much potential here, and yet it just doesn't have seem to have taken uh, taken grip anywhere. And um, you know, I think there are various reasons for that, uh, politically as well as as other reasons, but. Um, um, the sad thing is, is that the tourism uh, was the one thing that was really um, picking up and 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 putting us on the map, and that's that's been dealt a a, a serious blow now. Yeah, and let's hope it sort of starts opening up again soon. But I, it it looks yeah. a bit grim now with the figures in the rest of the world, and and even here the yes. numbers seem to be ticking up again, which is bad yeah. news for all of this. Your, and yeah. your next choice is Amy McDonald with Dancing in the Dark. That was Amy McDonald's Dancing in the Dark, the choice of Alan Vea, who's my guest in People of Note. Alan, have you, uh, in your sort of storytelling and so on, have you come across uh, people uh, from amongst the, the closer people possibly who have direct connections to those great stories in the Eastern Cape? I'm sure you must have. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and um, particularly families and clans that, that have lived in these, in these areas, um, you know, for generation after generation. So, yes, uh, I have come across people and, and it's been fascinating hearing their stories as well because, you know, from from a different perspective and a different angle, um, yeah, that that has been absolutely great, uh, fantastic to be able to do that and to travel through the area and, and speak to people, and and also the 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 willingness for for people to share, you know, and I suppose it it, it comes from, you know, listening, uh, go, going amongst people and being able to you know to listen, and when you listen to somebody, they tend to open up and. Uh, and are, are far more willing to share. And I think that's a great lesson for us. Yeah, and I think that's why storytelling is such a, a big thing in Africa generally, but particularly mm. in South Africa. I think there are some mm. amazing stories to be told and amazing stories to be heard. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, sorry, yeah. I say, you know, people used to, to say to when Brian and I were doing shows, saying, oh, you know, you fantastic storytelling and and we'd always say you know we're not the best storytellers around the, the best storytellers are, are, are the ones that we listen to um we're just repeating what they're saying and uh and you you travel around these areas and if you sit down and you listen um wherever you are uh and people start telling their stories it really is it's it's fascinating yeah yes because people are fascinating i think Mm. Yeah, and Indeed. with your your boot and swa, you're sort of brothers mm. in arms, and that's your next choice, Mark Knopfler, brothers in arms. That was brothers in arms, uh, Mark Knopfler, and the choice of Alan Veyer, who's my guest in 
People of Note, the program you're listening to on Classic 1027. It's broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8, and in it I talk to someone who is a person of note and we listen to music of their choice. And one of the beautiful things that I remember about uh, the Eastern Cape, well, certainly when I was spending all my time down on a farm near Kaimouth, was the beautiful skies. And I'm sure when you're in these big um, game reserves, the skies are still beautiful and clear. And I see your next choice is Southern Cross, which is Crosby, Stills and Nash. Let's listen to that. That was Southern Cross by Crosby, Stills and Nash. And I must say some of these names in your choices of music are familiar from Mm. uh, my own days. Um, yeah, and do you listen to much music while you're working at home? Um, I, I I do mostly in the evenings though. Um, you know, when I come in, I'll I'll you know I'll put on some music and and listen. Um, I yeah, I I do enjoy listening to music and and you know as as you said, I, it, no particular genre or anything yeah. like that. Anything, yeah. And and your daughter, although she's at university, is she does she still play music? She does. She 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 plays the piano and she's she sings. Uh, you know, she she really enjoys it. But she doesn't. She hasn't been doing it. You know, yeah. other than just for herself. But uh, Richard, the interesting thing was when when my wife was pregnant with our eldest daughter, Catherine, you know, she used to drive, she's a pharmacist, she was working in Grahamstown, she used to drive back and forward from the farm. And right from when she fell pregnant, she used to play music in the car, and um, she used to play a lot of, uh, it was a, a whole series of things, minor, majors for minors. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, classical music, and I'm convinced that that had an effect um, on my daughter, because you know when she sings she's she's pitch perfect she yeah. she's she you know she's got a real talent in 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 that and i'm sure that that comes from you know playing that music and when she was tiny in the car as well you know audrey my wife would always have um music playing and uh i'm sure it has has an effect one of her her, her uh, projects at school was doing a project on the effects of in vitro um, music, you know. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure uh, these things. I I, I will remember uh, my own son. Well, before he was born, mm. Uh, uh, mm. my wife was standing behind the orchestra when we were performing mm. uh, the foray requiem. And there's a big place where the horns play a particularly loud passage. She yes. was right behind the horns, and yeah. there was definitely an effect. On yes. Henry, my son, in the womb, he started yeah. kicking like yeah. crazy because these <laughs> horns were blasting into just in front. <laughs> um, yeah. So, sitting on the dock of the bay is your next choice. Uh, I, I, I have to say, I don't know about this. Just tell us quickly about sitting on the dock of the bay. Uh, this is a. Uh, uh, it was Otis Redding originally, and uh, it, it's a. I don't know what you would call it, a, a blues song, um, and uh, it's sung. Th- this particular one is is from people from all over the world that have they've they've put together um, to produce this particular recording. Um, I just love the, you know, the the laid back, and the rhythm of the song. Here it comes. Sitting on the dock of the bay. Well, we've come just about to the end of the program now, and. Uh, Alan, what is what are your feelings about the future? About how things may open up again? I mean, it's very hard to know how things are going to turn out. Uh, but you've lived in an area that's survived, I should think, much worse than what we're going through mm. now. And mm. there's a certain sort of stoicism amongst the people of the Eastern mm. Cape that things will come right. I guess. Yes. Absolutely, I think you know that that is it, and uh, um, I certainly think that uh, it's it's never going to be the same as it as it was. It'll be different, but uh, I've no doubt that that we will come back uh, and come right, and uh, and I think uh, the next generation is going to be dealing with a whole lot of issues and sets of issues that we never had to deal with, and and like. 
previous generations to us. We dealt with different stuff that they've dealt with. And, and um, I, you know, I think, you know, as you say, the Eastern Cape, this is probably one of the best times we've lived in in the Eastern Cape. Um, and um, countrywide, worldwide, I think there are going to be big changes, but uh, humans have an amazing capacity to deal with that and, and go forward. So I'm very positive. I think that uh, we can only come out of this stronger and it, it can only get better. Yeah, and all the people of that region over the past two, three hundred years have been incredibly mm. resilient mm. and and able to make a plan one way or another. Yeah. I'm sure a plan will be made uh, about this too as things start to open up. Uh, do you Absolutely. have a website of some sort? I don't. Um, I, no, I don't. I used to have when I was when I was doing the tours full time, and I'll probably get back into doing that. But I'm not focusing too much on that at the moment, simply because there there isn't much of a market right now. But yeah. certainly, when it does pick up again, I'll get I'll get going. Well, I'm sure if people look you up, they'll find you somewhere. Alan Veyer, uh, he's been my guest on People of Note, and we're coming to his last choice now, which is the sound of silence, which is more or less what's settled over the Eastern Cape since there are not so many <laughs> tourists there. Uh, but a wonderful piece. Alan, I just want to say thank you for being on the program. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. It's a great pleasure. And if people do want to uh, sort of put a group together, I'm sure you would do a talk for them, would you? Absolutely. I, I have been doing that. Yeah. Um, but just really on an ad hoc basis, if there's an interest, people can get hold of me and I certainly will do that. Yeah. Great. Well, there it is. Uh, we've come to the end of another People of Note and we're going to finish off with Sound of Silence by Todd Hoffman. Thanks, Alan, for being on the program. Uh, and Thank you, Richard. Thank you. And here it comes, Sound of Silence. That was Todd Hoffman's Sound of Silence, the final choice of Alan Vea who's been my guest on the program tonight. And don't forget, I'll be with you each weekday evening from 7 to 10, except on a Friday when it's 6 to 9, that's with Full Works. And then every Sunday evening from 6 to 8, we've got People of Note. So I just want to say thank you to all of you at home who've been listening. I hope you've enjoyed the program and enjoy the week ahead. Good night.